Listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. It is time for Mental Health Monday. We'll check in with Deaconess Heidi Gaiman in just a moment. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting the Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live uncommon. It is time for Mental Health Monday. And I am really enjoying this series because I am learning so much. And today we continue with emotions and the gospel. We're looking at lost or forgotten emotions of the Bible. I, I guess we shouldn't say lost because they were never lost. We just <laughs> forgot about them. It's time to check in with Heidi Gaiman for another chapter in emotions and the gospel. Good morning, Heidi. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So today we get into some of the emotions that might be a little more, hmm, we might be reluctant to to talk about or admit that we experience. Maybe. So <laughs> Today we move into indignation. How would you describe the where this falls in the, the spectrum of emotions? Is it in a certain neighborhood of emotions or does it have emotional cousins? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's funny because we like to both over-categorize emotions and maybe under-categorize mm-hmm. them. We have a hard time like living in the middle, right? So we tend to mm-hmm. like be like, oh, there's, you know, we, we even have the charts. I even hand them out, like the wheels of emotion for people to understand. Them. And they are really useful, but, you know, they're all really imperfect. They're just meant as tools to help us kind of, yeah, understand those cousin relationships, if you will, of emotion. And then we also undercategorize them where, where we act like there's no relationship. We're kind of vague about our emotions. And so I think indignation in particular is one emotion that it's really helpful to get to know the cousins because, well, being a quote-unquote forgotten emotion of the Bible, it's not a word we use very often. So we have to get re-centered a little bit on what we're talking about. And I would say two of the closest cousins of indignation are in the the realm of anger, um, annoyance, frustration, something in there, and then also greed. Those are cousins of indignation. And so those marry really interesting. And and if we had a loss experience at all, I think we understand the relationship a little bit, at least intrinsically, as I talk about it, of anger and grief, that they do have a relationship. Indignation is particularly related to the aspects of injustice that is anger in our system. Most of the time when there's anger involved, there is an injustice that we're facing. And so indignation is a very clear aspect of that in our life, the relationship between anger and injustice. So how is indignation different? What sets it apart from these other cousin relationship kind of emotions? Yeah. Indignation, I think, first of all, we, you know, we talk about the emotion soup. It's one of our favorite concepts on Mental Health Mondays. And so indignation is absolutely an emotion soup. Like you're not going to be able to scalpel this and separate, well, here's this piece over here and this piece over here. Instead, we experience it as this, you know, often like emotions are, but especially this welling up. I think the passage in Mark of Jesus asking for the little children to come to him, you know, letting the children come to him and the disciples rebuking them for coming. It says, when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, is a really good way to maybe center ourselves in scripture when we think about this emotion. 
that I gosh, I, I just wonder about Jesus's response. Like, what does indignation look like? Well, what we know is that it's not simple, just like so many things, but that it isn't just simple anger either. Jesus wasn't just like rebuking the disciples back. You know, it's not like a revenge rebuke, if you will. Instead, again, indignation has that sense of injustice that pricks at us and um, it frustrates us. Like we feel called to action almost in the same way later we'll talk about felt compassion in another chapter where it just calls us to action. We want to do something to make it different. And there's a grief to it. Like there's a very clear it shouldn't be this way aspect when we see indignation, particularly in scripture, and that's why it's forgotten in motions of the Bible. But I think even in our own lives, if you think about the injustices of the world today, the sense of it shouldn't be like this is a unique kind of grief that we experience as humans. And I think that grief is the thing we should probably move toward to process. And then the anger will kind of settle itself. Dealing with the grief is usually, I think, in our best interest. That sadness, that hurt, that frustration, that's a physical longing underneath the grief or underneath the anger. Is it likely that perhaps I have confused indignation with self-righteous anger in my past? (laughs) Andy, what a good question. What a good question. You know, it is really interesting to me, some of the especially biblical, scriptural, theological research on anger and our relationship to anger as humans, especially as human believers, right? So I think that's actually indignation is one thing that can serve us well to help us understand that there there is a difference in being responsive to injustice versus anger that doesn't go anywhere and can easily turn to things like bitterness or cynicism, things that don't really serve us well. And I do think that's a really helpful contextualization that you offer, this idea that, you know, that movement orientation of indignation might be a better place for us to land instead of self-righteous anger. Because consider, right? Like, is there any righteousness in us? <laughs> like, I mean, we're Lutheran, so we can easily say no. We know that's not true. And so we do exist as humans. We want to exist in a sense of kind of non-judgment because God is the judge. And we know our place that we, we are not righteous, no, not one. But we also live within that inhumanity. And so we are trying to coexist as humans and How do we respond to injustice both done to us, like the very personal injustice in a relationship or systemic injustice? We need to really rely on God's righteousness, God's word, God's, you know, people in processing. Sometimes there's like a hard time finding some clarity in some of these things. But I think indignation is the emotion inside of us that says, wait, something's not right. That's a really important identifier, like a way that we notice that something's not right. That in itself, I think, is a healthier place to be than jumping to like straight on anger and maybe not giving it the granularity that it deserves so we can process it and and clarify and work with others as well as God's word and stuff to figure that out. So what what is that relationship between indignation and justice? I think we're kind of like walking around it a bit, but what is, is, is there like a, a correlation between those things that, that when we feel that sense of indignation, that, that that means that there's something that we're seeing that we, that we feel like we need to act on? 
Yeah, I think the word that we use in social work land is marginalization, especially. This comes up in the letter to the Corinthians. I'm going to read you just a little section from the book that I think will be really helpful in this. When the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church in Corinth, he was concerned about people taking advantage of the weaknesses of others and how that could rob them of their, wait for this word, dignity. Do you hear Mm. dignity and indignation? would rob oh, yeah. them of their dignity, right? So that's inherent to the word. In Paul's day, that often happened when people tried to add requirements to the gospel or propagated false gospels. Paul wrote of the anxiety and indignation that comes from being a leader and seeing others harmed by such falsehood. Second Corinthians 11, 28 and 29 says, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Question mark. Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? Question mark. Paul has a relationship with these people. And he is also then not only in relationship with them as a fellow believer, but as a leader. And that's a little different. Like he feels called, right? He feels the call of injustice, of care for these marginalized people, the people put underneath his authority. And so that is what leads him to action in this case. Two things are important in that. Like we, I think sometimes in our modern society, we read something on the internet and we're indignant for people we (laughs) don't have a relationship with, which is like, I mean, yes, that's good that you notice there's marginalization. But then the problem comes that we, I think we kind of make it our own thing. Like we turn it into almost self-righteousness. So instead settling ourselves on, people we have a relationship with or learning from those people if we'd like in order to have a relationship if there's an injustice we're concerned about. But I do think it's better centered on people. Like in this instance, Paul's not indignant at false gospels. He's indignant at what's being done to his people. And I think that that's an important piece of it. And so I'm not going to be indignant about quote unquote, no, erase those quotes. That's not what I meant. So let me start that sentence again, because that would be terrible what I was just going to accidentally say. I am not going to be indignant about just human trafficking. I'm going to be indignant about people that are being trafficked. And that's a different thing. And then is do I have a space then of relationship or leadership there that I can interact with? If I have a place in leadership, then the answer should usually be yes. Like I'm actually called. It, it, if I'm in leadership in some way and it's touching on human trafficking, I'm called toward working to resolve and restore or at least act in that indignation with kindness and with the grace of God, but also the truth of God. If I'm not in leadership, then I may not be called to act there, but I'm called to act in relationship. So then just, you know, whether it's getting to know, more about a certain topic or getting to understand the perspective of survivors of this. Do you see the difference between that and then just getting angry at the internet? Um, That's indignation. Is the dignity of people involved? Did I answer your question? (laughs) Yeah, I might have gone off the rails a little bit. Well, I think the, the internet and particularly social media really provides an opportunity to amplify or magnify something mm. that doesn't necessarily need to be magnified or repeated or mm-hmm. shared exponentially. To quote one of our colleagues here at the International Center, someone is being wrong on the internet and I must correct them. <laughs> do, how many times do, 
do we think that? Like, does our brain go down that route when we see something that's, quote, wrong on the internet? Mm -hmm. And then we have to pause and think, okay, is there a relationship here? What is that relationship? Is this going to be helpful if what, you know, what I say, is that going to help that relationship? Oh, uh, yeah, so much thinking happening right now, but we're going to take a pause (laughs) because I need to slow down my brain. It is Mental Health Monday on the Coffee Hour. (laughs) We're talking with Deaconess Heidi Gaiman in Emotions and the Gospel. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. It is Mental Health Monday, and we are taking a look at emotions in the gospel, particularly looking at indignation, one of the so-called forgotten emotions of the Bible. And before we went to break, talking about the the, the place that dignity plays in the in indignation, and and we see that in the root of the word right there, right? The dignity is the same root of the word is there. And and you even do that a little etymology in the book and mm-hmm. helping us break down the word and understand that more. And you've shared a few references already where we find this in scripture. Any others that you want to share with us today to help us understand dignation? Mm-hmm. There is my very favorite one in John chapter 11, and this has to do with Jesus. And when we want or desire or feel called to get a little more cozy with the concept of emotions and God and the gospel, I really welcome people to the gospels because Jesus as, you know, the incarnate God and fully human, it's amazing to watch him experience these things. And it's deeply connecting. There is fewer spaces that I feel more seen and heard than this passage for a different reason now than it used to be. Like I used to love, this is the story of Lazarus and of Jesus weeping. And I've always loved it. It's always been very tender to me and tender to me on the topic of friendships and Jesus caring for his friends and and all these things. But there is this secret, very fun Greek insight in this one. And when I read it in the especially the work of a book called Passions of the Christ that actually one of the editorial staff at Concordia Publishing House sent me, Heidi, I think you might be interested in this book well before I wrote Emotions in the Gospel. And when I dove in, just so many awesome insights. It's very academic, but very heady. It's fun just kind of take that level sometimes. So in John chapter 11, I'll read you this little passage 22 and 23. Listen for the word indignant or relationship to the word indignant. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved and in his spirit, uh, sorry, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Okay, so this section of deeply moved 
is related to indignation. Remember, we said it's a movement, an action-oriented emotion. And I do think you see emotion soup in Jesus here too, right? Mm-hmm. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. He There's weeping involved. There's different things happening. And so um, in the this Passions of the Christ book, one thing that the author notes is that there is that deeply moved is actually in Greek, a vocalization that doesn't have a word for it in our language. And so the author and other commentators also like in checking around, aren't quite sure if this is a, a shrump, if you will, is one way that we would say it in our language or a snort. <laughs> In fact, when you look at other Greek literature, some of the authors talk about how it's kind of similar, it seems like, to the sound a horse makes when it like blows out the air with its lips. I'm not going to do that on the air. You're welcome. But imagine that. Like imagine the God of the universe in human form harumphing, right? Or making horse noises in the midst of all of this loss and grief. What in the world does that mean? Heidi Gaiman, explain this to us, right? I think one of the best explanations I saw, and this is a little bit of the mystery of God, right? We're, we're only given a little window into Jesus's emotional experience here, so we don't want to add to scripture. But one of the best explanations I saw in context, if you look at the story of Lazarus's death and rising, as well as what comes before it, and the Jews and the questions Jesus has to answer that greatly grieved him also. You know, I heard this question. I love that the author in Passions of the Christ offers it as a question. Something like, is is Jesus grieved by the brokenness of the world? Is he, this is my words in my book, is he impacted by the tears he knows could have been avoided had humankind not sought a life outside of God's boundaries? Does Jesus share in the frustration over the seemingly nonsensical loss of a life gone too soon? Like the fact that God is grieved over death and also indignant, like that there is an injustice in death and brokenness is ridiculously comforting to me, that he also knows that this isn't the way it's supposed to be. That's a very, very helpful, I think. And I love that Jesus, like sometimes there's no words, just like the groaning of the Holy Spirit that we read about in the New Testament, right? Jesus here also is like, there's just no words sometimes, friends. Sighs and harumphs, snorts and groans are good for the soul. Is one thing I heard in the book. Let's explore that relationship a little bit further because we we've talked about dignity and its relationship with indignation. And now we're talking about death. What is that? What is that relationship of death and and our mortality and recognizing mortality and and the dignity or lack of dignity that goes into all of that? Oh my goodness, right? You know, I think there's such a tension to be held with death because it is a hundred percent natural and a hundred percent unnatural at the same time. And that math does not work out except in the mystery of God. I think it's a very disappointing to us that death exists and it should ceaselessly be disappointing. But also, both as just created creatures of God in the world, death brings humility to our life. Like it, And it is an indignified thing. Even just the process of aging, right? You think about the existence of nursing homes. I think most of us are, you know, not our goal 
to need to be in a nursing home someday and to be cared for. And we all want to die in our sleep. That sounds amazing. Instead of something else that would be much more, much less stigma. So death has those components to it. It also, as believers, we know it's just a portal. Like we know it. Like Jesus says, he's won the victory. And it's just a way that we are led to eternity with him. And so I think in that way, he restores our dignity also about death. He gives us something more instead of just the undignified bones wasting away in a cave or a tomb or underground or ashes or whatever. I think that's helpful to understand that tension of death and why we experience indignation in it, because it's also kind of confusing. And I think things that feel confusing, you're definitely going to find the emotion soup there, right? And indignation is part of that. But this isn't quite right. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. And death is one of those things that brings that up for us, I think, more than many, many other things. How would you describe the difference between Jesus's indignance and ours? I mean, like so much else, he's <laughs> perfect and we are not. Yeah. And so his, his indignance is trustworthy, And I think that's one way, actually, when we experience indignation, where the Bible can come in hand, where we want to go discover what Jesus has to say about them, some things. And some things, again, will lack a little clarity. But at the same time, you know, the Holy Spirit is at work. And when we dive into God's word and let him reveal to us and maybe search for a little bit of that indignance, it may give us a a bit of clarity in our own indignance. Like, is this self-righteous anger, like you said, or is this something that hurts God's soul? Is this a a David moment, if you will, a a man after God's own heart, that I'm feeling connected to God's indignance in this? And may that propel me forward then. Also within then, his what are his, (laughs) what is Jesus's nature is grace, compassion, yes, truth and justice, but always coupled with those things. And that helps us move forward, I think, more authentically than in the gospel as gospel bearers also into the world with our indignance than, you know, Heidi's idea of indignance and what makes me mad. <laughs> so there, there certainly is some difference, and even from person to person, too, how we experience indi- mm-hmm. indignance. Um, in, in terms of forgotten emotions of the Bible, we, we next week we'll move on to contempt. Is that right? It is. I'm sorry that we're doing such heavy emotions. I feel like, didn't we do distress last time? Like, so sorry. But we will, we will mix in some that maybe feel a little more pleasant. But honestly, maybe it's just me. I love talking about these heavier emotions because we don't in our culture very often. And I do think God is in these heavy emotions just as much as he is in some of those more maybe pleasantly experienced ones often in our system. And, you know, there's an aspect of indignance, as I say that, that feels pretty pleasant (laughs) that I need to be a little bit aware of as well. So next time we'll take a look at contempt. And don't worry, we'll have some others that that maybe seem a little more pleasant, as you said. But I, I agree. It's important for us to to talk about and to to learn about these emotions that really have made their way out of our vocabulary. It's it's time to reintroduce them into our vocabulary. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us. And always a a delight to chat with you. Thanks for being our guest again on The Coffee Hour. Awesome. I'll see you next week. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth.
The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support the Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere. Anywhere.